Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Graveyard Coffee Talk. We're your hosts, Amanda and Corinne. And this episode, we are joined by Zach Rosenberg. Hello. Hello. People can't see me wave. No. This they is can't. An audio only. Shit. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, thank you so much for having me. Of course. So, first things first. Uh, beverages for the episode i have a golden hour iced latte from our local place synergos uh it's the same drink that i was drinking earlier and it's really really good and i made myself a disappointment iced coffee so i've got water because this ice coffee is not good i'm sorry <laughs> Did you bring a cozy drink? I just had a I just had a water earlier, and before that, it was like a uh, coconut juice from the local Vietnamese place. Ooh, ooh, nice. That sounds good. There's like so. Oh yeah, we have like a uh, there's there's like a little plaza which is like a pho place, a banh mi place, all kinds of great places, and there's one that does that serves like just incredible drinks, like smoothies, uh, teas, coconut ooh. juice, sugarcane juice. It's amazing. I want to go to there. That sounds good. That, that makes me want to go to the value market over oh, wait, in Iroquois. Iroquois. Yeah. yeah. I haven't been there in forever. <laughs> Oof, we are, we've lived in the city too long. Yep. Uh, we may or may not have known each other for 17 years. I did the math. Oh my God, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good times. Yeah. Someone asked how long we'd known one another, and I sat there and I did the math. I'm like, all right, it was my sophomore year, my freshman year. How many years? Oh, that was a lot of years ago. <laughs> that was many years ago. We're old. Um, and then, uh, not sure how familiar you are with the structure of the episodes, Zach, but uh, at this point, we do a tarot draw. Oh, cool. And today, I am as usual, pulling from the Wild Unknown Tarot deck because it was sitting next to me. But this time I really for real shuffled. Amanda saw me. It's true. I did not disrespect the deck. <laughs> and I got right, go the chariot. It's got, um, I think it's, yeah, that's a horse. I thought it was a goat, but it's not, it's a horse. No, why would there be a goat on the chariot card? Because Thor's chariot is drawn by goats, Amanda. Fair anyway, enough. it's all about strong will and triumph, and you have done the hard things and celebrate. Yay! And yes. we are here to celebrate you, Zach. Yes. So much. And your upcoming book. So, yes, thank you. It's an elevator pitch. All right. So, very briefly, it is set in the American Old West in a small Jewish settlement that is put under siege by a group of mercenaries, but they have a secret of these creatures living in the nearby mountains that they have a pact with. Ooh. Okay, I want to read that, and I don't even like horror. 
<laughs> no, I love that. And I feel like I mostly need to read it um, because my only frame of reference for Jewish settlements in the Old West is the movie, The Frisco Kid. Uh, huh? I'm not even sure if I've seen that one. Uh, it is a young Harrison Ford Ooh. and a young Gene Wilder. Ooh. Um, Gene Wilder is, you know, the, the gruff cowboy who has to help, or not Gene Wilder, Harrison Ford is the gruff cowboy who has to help Gene Wilder's uh, Eastern European rabbi make it across the West to yes. get to his intended bride in San Francisco. Yes, I remember that one. I do remember this. Oh my God, I haven't seen that one in like 20 years. I don't think I've ever seen that. I'm gonna, Hunter and I have a list of movies <laughs> to watch. I'm adding that to the list. He doesn't get a choice. Oh, um, that is a movie that I did not believe my husband actually existed when he described the plot of it. So <laughs> he made me watch it one night. Amazing. I remember that there's like a scene where they're trying to escape the bad guys and because it's Saturday, the rabbi won't get on the horse until Sunday. <laughs> yep. Amazing. Yep. It's, it is fantastic. And uh, just to go ahead and say it, because I realize none of us have actually said it uh, yet this episode, the book that is coming out May 12th, correct? Yes. Yes. Uh, May 17th, actually. May 17th. Numbers are hard. Is Hungers as Old as This Land? Um, yes. Just so everyone listening gets the actual title, since I realized we have not said it yet. Yes. I was actually surprised to discover in the question, and I forgot to write the words because I don't know how to write anymore. Um, but anyway, uh, can yeah. you tell us a little bit about how the idea for this book came about? Well, you know, it's actually a very interesting story. Um, I started writing this um, when there were short story calls. This actually began as a short story, um, and there were several Western calls out when uh, Silver Shamrock uh, went out of business, and there was one for Death's Head Press and one for Brigade's Gate, and I decided, um, you know what, um, I'll just do <clears throat> a story about, you know, the West, about Manifest Destiny, and it was kind of a short one about the mercenaries having destroyed the town and going up into the mountains. It was like about 5,000 words. Okay. So I sent it in. Um, Death's Head Press, uh, you know, they rejected. They only had like two slots. It was like a really tough competition. There were like hundreds of uh, runs. And everyone check that out, by the way. It's called Hot Iron and Cold Blood, edited by Pat McDonough. It looks freaking fantastic. Okay. Um, so I also sent it to Brigitte's Gate. And time passed. And they kind of sent me a message saying, you know, um, our editor, Ken, and he really likes it. And he thinks there should be more of it. How would you feel about expanding it into a novelette or a short or a novella? And I was like, yes, um, absolutely. <laughs> so I was like, I got to start thinking about what I'm going to do. And I started writing and it kind of just flowed out. And I finished it, I think, in a few months. And I sent oh, wow. it back and we edited it and it went in. And uh, that's been that's really been the journey. It really started off as a, as a short story that really got expanded, which gave me more time to focus on the characters and the setting and have uh, you know different ideas there and it was it was really uh, it was just a lot of fun nice that's so cool so I, I i love that you have like the hollywood idea of how a, a book gets published <laughs> 
you're the exception proving the rule. <laughs> it, it was very much a once in a lifetime thing, I think. It was just sending something in and, you know, like, hey, would you like to make more of this? And it was like, yes, absolutely. <laughs> I twist my arm, I guess. <laughs> Tell me again how much you liked my story. <laughs> no, that's wonderful. Yes. Um, so, what, if any, resources did you find most helpful while you were writing, you know, whether historically or to get into mindset, the mindset of your characters? Um, historically speaking, I, I was reading uh, articles and kind of like some history stuff. I can't remember the books, but I was focusing on like, you know, the history of Jews in the Old West. Um, also, you know, like the history of Manifest Destiny and like all, you know, the horrible ugliness that entailed. Um, all, you know, that, 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 that was really some deep, uh, research for it. There, there, there was a lot of stuff that I researched that I, you know, I didn't leave out of the books. I just, I kind of realized that, you know, I just didn't think it was my story to tell. Um, okay. one of the, one of the heroines, uh, she's half indigenous, half Jewish. And I kind of, um, I was kind of caught on that. You know, I researched a lot about, you know, the atrocities in the, in the West, um, manifest destiny, the acts of the American government and the military, um, there was a lot of stuff I kind of figured, um, you know what, this really isn't something that I, as a, you know, white-coated Jewish person, shouldn't probably be writing about as a story. Like, I can tell the story of Jews in the West. I can, you know, I, I cannot sanitize the West, but let's not make it about, um, you know, like, try to appropriate the stories that aren't, you know, mine to do. But also okay. a lot of, um, I read about a lot of folklore, both, uh, you know, Jewish and otherwise. Um, all the monsters in this book are pretty original. I didn't really uh, take them from any existi existing myth. Okay. Um, I actually had, like, you know, more fun designing them kind of, like, just from my own mind. Um, and also, like, really, really a lot of history, but also a lot of, um, a lot of horror westerns as well uh like one book i swore by like i read and i am nowhere near this level this is not a comparison was blood meridian uh by Cormac mccarthy yes. which i consider like one of the definitive american westerns which is brutal and scary and horrific and incredibly written um stuff like elmer leonard and also a lot of um pre-existing horror western stuff already like Death's Head Splatter Westerns I have read, especially, you know, Wiley Young's A Magpie Coffin, Kenzie Jennings Red Station, um, Christopher Triana's 13th Coyote. You know, those are probably a little more brutal than than, uh, than than my book, but those were also, like, real influences that I kind of, like, relied on. Like, how do you make the West scary? Like, how do you transport the horror that was already there and, you know, do horror out of it? And that was really um, something I aimed for when I was researching that. I was kind of combining that history and... Uh, uh, basically that history and, you know, horror Western stuff just kind of brought it all together. That actually dovetails really nicely in with our next question, which was, were there any specifically Western tropes that you found meshed really well with horror tropes? Because I personally did not know that horror Westerns were a thing until you said that just now. <laughs> oh, yeah, ab ab absolutely. It was, um, there, there's a lot of uh, Western tropes. I mean, you know, when we're talking Westerns, um, I feel it's like good, like you know, there's there's kind of a distinction there. Like, there's the classic American Western, which kind of sanitizes the West, which presents it as like, okay, here's the heroes, here's the villains. Maybe sometimes you mix it up and things get a little more morally gray, and you talk about like the uh, the mythology of the West. Um, kind of my real influence on on writing more of that was kind of like the spaghetti westerns, the revisionist westerns, stuff like. Uh, Sergio Leone and Sergio Corbucci with Django and the Great Silence. 
stuff that doesn't really like sanitize the West. And I'm sorry if I'm like getting a little explainy for a moment, but like a lot I of those explanation, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of those directors were very um, left with their politics, and they would use um, kind of the American government to make critiques of their own government or fascism or World War II, and they were much more likely to present like Confederacy as an evil, um, discuss minority rights and the horrors of manifest destiny and bounty hunting um and you know like the dominance of american bankers in the west and that was the stuff that like really influenced me there so it really wasn't um a stretch to kind of make it horror like um in hungers the villains are you know a, an immoral banker who wants the settlement wiped out and a um and a, and a mercenary team who are just too happy to kill people and like that ended up a little you know that was more of the horror for me than the actual monsters because the monsters are more of a neutral force in the book like they guard their territory and they and they hold these packs but they're not like brutal and expansionist and you know i mean they are incredibly violent when you intrude on their territory and like i think you know some of the scary scenes i wrote was when that happens or when they decide to interpret you know some of their packs a little loosely but like you know it's very easy to take like the the unsanitized version of the west because there were things like genocide ethnic cleansing uh, oppression uh class systems racial all this like really terrible stuff that like really doesn't um really not very difficult to turn into uh, to uh blend to horror trips because i think you know horror works for the best when you're using it to kind of take these re these um use it to interpret and understand like um real things agree yeah all right so I guess dovetailing a little bit from that, who would you say right now are your biggest inspirations in your writing, past past authors or present? Ooh, that is a tough one. Um, some of my favorite writers and kind of ones who I like really, really aspire to. Um, uh, um, Alexander Dumas is one of my favorites, just for the sheer depth of characters and plotting and action and intrigue. That's someone who I like always kind of feel I'm right in the footsteps in. Um, my kind of like some of my classic horror icons guys like robert e howard and um robert block are guys who are just like masters of suspense and terror and you know who try to get like that kind of um uh, this blend between like pulp and you know just creeping horror for modern authors <clears throat> cormac mccarthy is one of my favorites as i mentioned with blood meridian um i just think he's absolutely sublime just a fantastic writer um also, Josh Mallerman is probably one of, like, one of my favorite Jewish horror writers right now. Just like the sheer breadth of work he's done, the way he just captures anxiety on the page. Uh, Haley Piper is also one of my idols. She is just an incredible writer. Just a, The things she does with words are extraordinary. Um, Candace Nola is a real favorite of mine. She's just an incredible person, great writer, um, just absolutely amazing. Um, Trying to think of some others. Uh, Peter Beagle, um, another one of my Jewish favorite fantasy fantasy writers. Just him, William Goldman. You know the late William Goldman, unfortunately. Um, just real, really, just so many. Um, Silvio Moreno Garcia is another favorite of mine. She is just um, she's oh, always yeah. doing stuff with different genres and mixing it up. But she like has this these incredible just recurring themes from them. Um, if I had to list some other Jewish horror writers who I absolutely love. Um, Maybe she didn't call him a writer, but Rod Serling, just, you know, Twilight Zone, humanism. I, the, I think Rod Serling counts as yeah. a writer. Perfect. Yeah, I'm, I'm, 
yeah, no, he is just unbelievable. Like, um, I was so happy when, you know, I discovered the Twilight Zone when I was a kid. Um, mm-hmm. Him, and, like, and honestly, I'll also throw a shout out to uh, Arl Stein as another one of my, like, biggest, is one of my big favorites. Um, he was the one who got me into horror when I was a kid. I was actually so happy when I found out he was Jewish. I was like, oh my God, this is like me on this page. It was like, it was just like so happy there. So that that's kind of like spiraled into me writing like Jewish horror. But um, honestly, there there are like so many writers who I just admire and love and like would love, like kind of who inspire me. R.L. Stein is the reason that I'm afraid of horror. <laughs> now, I stole Goosebump books off of my older sister's shelf. I think I've all the time. I think I've mentioned it before. My babysitter had to lock a copy of one of R.L. Stein's books in the closet because I was so oh, afraid no. of it. Oh, no. Do you remember which one? Now I'm just curious. Oh God, no, I don't remember. Uh, <laughs> I, but it was. I was like, no, the monster's going to climb through my second story window and get me. I don't know how, but it was going to happen. So she was like, look, I'll lock the book up in the closet. Will you fucking go to bed now? <laughs> Only she didn't drop an F bomb because I was like seven. Oh, that is, uh, that's amazing. Yes. Okay. Um, so bouncing around a little bit now, um, can you talk about what your approach was to writing a longer work? Are you a pantser? Are you a plotter? Do you outline? What, what's the method here? Um, I have never outlined anything. <laughs> I am a pantser to death. Usually what I will do, I will have ideas, uh, things where I want it to, where I want it to go. Um, ideas of where I want the story to go, um, ideas of scenes I want to write, or character beats, but I am not good at planning things out to the letter. Um, I'm not good at outlining. I am a sit-down-and-write type of person. Like, um, in this one, it starts off with a flashback to the Civil War with the heroine's uh, father, actually, and I just kind of like, I will write this, just, you know, here is what happened in the Civil War, Um, here is a short bit at Antietam, and then brought it back like 17 years later to a uh, to meeting the heroines, uh, Siobhan and Esther. I was like, you know, uh, how do I introduce the hungers? How do I introduce this? And it was kind of like um, really just writing scenes that felt right until I got to where I had where I had opened the short story, and then kind of t- then just wrote a new epilogue after that. Okay, all right. Uh, matter of fact, as a fellow non-believer in outlines, see, I. I'm incredibly envious. I know how prolific you are. I know how much you've put out recently. Thank you. And a little bit jealous because I feel like I outline so much. And then my first draft just throws that whole outline away. But if I don't have that outline first, I will not put words to the page. Uh. I say whatever works for anyone. Like I can just sit down and write something and like, you know, have someone tell me this is crap and you have to fix it and I can totally fix it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I, I just like, I, I will have ideas. I will just go in with something like this is how I want it to turn out. This is how I want it to go. And then I will just get caught on it because I'm like, oh my God, how do I get from point A to point B over and over and over again? Hey, it's clearly working. So, <laughs> uh, so you mentioned it a little bit earlier, but how was it working with Bridget's Gate? Really fantastic, honestly. Uh, they've been—they're very supportive. They're very good. Um, they're very good at helping. You know, you get stuff out there. They're very good at answering questions. Um, they were—I um, I was working with with their editor on the book, um, Ken Kane, who was—you know—he was just brought on to edit the anthology, but he ended up editing the entire book. 
Um, we, we were, it was honestly a fantastic experience. Ken is, I cannot recommend him enough. He is very thorough. He has a real eye for catching things. Um, I mean, my, my, my first draft, it wasn't like changing any scenes. It was more just a matter of fixing it up. Like, you know, his, his style is great. It's like repetitive word choice, like, you know, change this around, move this around, you know, uh, shit like, uh, do something different with this paragraph, you know, change this, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you know, here's a, and then that just a bit like, I really like this chapter. Great job. <laughs> Good. So yeah. That's awesome. awesome. I, I really can't speak highly enough of him, honestly. Um, he's a fantastic editor. He catches stuff like, you know, you don't even think of. It's it's like, you know, here is the uh, first draft, and here's like all, all the repetitions, like tons and tons of red in there. It's a lot of fixing. But he was just like, you know, here's your book back. Just stay the course. You're going to be fine. You know, just uh, do a few pages at a time. You got this. That's awesome. Yeah. Right. Um, and... From what I understand, you have a pretty mentally taxing day job. So how do you balance work and writing in a way that avoids burnout, if that is a thing that you do, or maybe you're like us in little burnt pieces of toast? Sometimes, um, I will admit, burnout happens. Um, sometimes I just, you know, I will want to write and I just can't. Um, other times, I kind of view writing as an escape from the day job, like, you know, um, if I have time, I'll just be thinking about like what I want to write and like story ideas and such. I have a very hard time writing at work, honestly, like even as much as I might want to. But um, like, you know, honestly, it's really, um, I, I don't really have an answer for that. It's really just a matter of self-care sometimes or just, you know, even getting hung up on it when I don't want to be and getting, you know, sometimes I just get stuck. Sometimes I just get trapped in, uh, in my own mind when I, when I want to write, when I know I should be writing. But it's also like, okay, give yourself a little bit, be kind to yourself, take a breather, take a break, and go like that. Okay. All right. Uh, so asking, because I know you and I have discussed this a little bit before, what are your favorite resources for diving deeper into Jewish folklore specifically outside of the obvious, hey, maybe talk to your Jewish friends? <laughs> some of the best um some of the best resources for that i i can honestly envision um there's some great books of folklore out there um howard schwartzman has been a, a godsend for that the pantheon and folk tales uh, library um does great work with uh, folklore and mythology from all over the world like um they have a great yiddish folk tales book that i that i own um there's one that i have it's like a Dybbuk and other it's called the Dybbuk and other stories um it's i think it's great tales of jewish fantasy and the occult um the thing about jewish folklore is so much of it was oral for such a long time it wasn't um, right. written down in the same way that things like the talmud or the tanakh or the, the tanakh are so um a great deal of it was um you know told from you know parents and children like all this stuff like you had folk heroes and, um, you know, like, and monsters and all this stuff that was just passed along. Um, some of it, and, you know, a lot of it was oral folklore. Some of it was later written down. Um, in fact, at, like, the, at the end of the 19th century, at the end of the uh, 20th century, you had, or it's not 20th century, 19th century, some of the earliest stuff were uh, playwrights um, who would, like, write, who would write plays like the Dybbuk or the Golem. And they would, uh, you know, and that kind of just entered the, uh, that kind of, like, brought it into the, mainstream um i kind of got into it with like uh children's books honestly like there were children's books that you know did like illustrated versions of uh stories like the golem or herschel and the hanukkah goblins which is mm -hmm. absolutely 
which I totally <laughs> recommend for everyone, which is like so much fun. We, um, believe it or not, we have a copy at home for awesome. my son. <laughs> that is fantastic. Um, yeah, but it is, um, it really, when it comes to it, like, you know, you, you have to like pick up the, uh, the different, you know, you can pick up the different folklore books with, um, you know, like any of the ones that are out there. Cause there's like people who are just like real folklorists who, you know, like really try to capture that stuff. And, um, beyond that though, um, there's a lot of people I would recommend just checking out the fiction of, um, there's some good movies around now. Like, honestly, I think it's getting better than it used to be. Um, with Jewish, with Jewish horror films, there was actually like three out in the last year alone. Like I really recommend, um, attachment, which is a good treatment of the Dybbuk. Um, the Golem from 2018, which isn't like a which isn't like a perfect treatment of the Golem legend, but it's like a really good spin on it. Um, let me think of some others. There was uh, the Vigil, which I really recommend, which is like which was like the Jewish horror film, which I think just like catapulted it out of uh, you know like out of kind of obscurity in some senses. Um, but also uh, writers like there's great fiction writers like uh, great fiction uh, Jewish fantasy. There's Veronica Shanos, who is like a folklorist and she does incredible stuff with it, like uh, The Burning Girl and other stories. That um, collection was amazing. And that one, I think you could actually read, save for one story. I think I'm there's a baby. one story I would tell you to maybe skip so that you ever sleep again. Well, but I told you, I, I read that it was like a, an anthology of haunted house stories. Mm -hmm. And the only one I remember is the one that was about a house that had a dibbuk in it and it scared the bejesus out of me and i like only one that stuck with me there i don't are, remember any other story that i read in that stupid anthology but i remember that one i love that stuff dibbuk is uh, something i'm very fond of um I, i'm a little possessive of it now because i think i've told amanda this sometimes those, like ever since that movie in like 2012 came out, the possession, everyone thinks it's like, oh, the Dybbuk box. I'm just like, that's not a part of Jewish folklore, just something a guy made up on eBay. Yep. <laughs> so it is. So that is something that, uh, yeah, like the, the like actual Dybbuk stories are a lot of, are like very interesting and a lot of fun. Um, but honestly, like the best thing you can do is just like honestly seek out like Jewish horror writers and like read their stuff where they try like. Yeah, there's always going to be people who will do who will take liberties with it. Uh, one guy who I love now is John Balthusberger. Uh, he runs Madness Heart Press. He has a whole like Jewish imprint. He's doing some great, great stuff. Um, I try to like you know get some uh, with Jewish folklore. There's some of it that's just so sparse you kind of have to put your own spin on it. Right, that makes sense. But um, it, but honestly, it's a lot of fun. And uh, like you know, believe it or not, like there's all kinds of instances of people adapting the stories but like stripping them out like i think i brought this up too like a uh, corpse bride by tim burton that was a jewish folk tale that they completely removed the jewishness from yeah i i didn't know that one was a jewish folk tale until years later and i was a little bit embarrassed that i was like oh i didn't i didn't actually know it either until like relatively recently i was like that is uh that is like kind of i, I think i think a friend put it best it was like you know ironically keeping the jewish stuff would have had it like given it more of an identity yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Though no, the original stories, it's like you know, I, I kind of want to write a story about um, about that that folktale sometimes. I'd probably read that one. <laughs> well, yeah. No, I think I kind of like you know, uh, is kind of like even tragic. I feel bad for like the ghost spirit because like honestly, it's something I love about Jewish folklore. So there's a lot of it where the heroes are 
rabbis who are rules lawyering their way out of trouble. Like, you know, it's like, okay, let's argue and let's debate the law. And, you know, let's, uh, so like, at the, so kind of like the, the story is, you know, she has the claim on the, on the guy and the rabbi argues why it's invalid. I'm like, actually, it's kind of sad. It kind of sucks for her. It's like, maybe I can like do something cool and horror romancy with this. Uh, please do. That, because now I want to read that. Yeah, that sounds like something that is Corinne friendly because I just, I want to like horror. I do, but I'm such a coward. <laughs> it's, it, there's stuff for everyone, honestly. Like, you can have horror that's funny. You can have horror that's scary. You can have horror that's heartwarming. I think that well, it's all a matter of, uh, you know, just finding the right stuff. Like, one one Jewish one you might like, I would definitely not recommend you uh, the offering. Skip that, like, the plague. You might like Blood Relative, though. It was a recent one by Noah Segan where he plays a Jewish vampire who, like, drives across uh, America and he finds out he has a daughter that he never knew about. And it's, like, it's funny. It's, it's not even really scary. It's, like, funny. It's heartwarming. It's uh, just really, really well done. Okay. All right. I'll keep that in mind. It's 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 on, it's on Shudder. It's a uh, Noah Segan Blood Relative. It's just, like, it's, it's like a Jewish vampire uh, comedy. Okay, all right. I think you could do that. I think I could do that. I can be brave. Put on my big girl pants. You got this. One other I would recommend. It's a show called uh, Dance of the Vampires or Tons Der Vampire. It's not very scary. It is, it's got great music. It's like, and the hero, like, um, I'm not sure all the heroes are Jewish, but the heroine is. And like, they live in a, uh, like a Jewish shtetl. It's like in the, in like the, uh, the, uh, Shadow of the Vamp, like the Shadow of the Vampire Castle. It's like a surprisingly, uh, you can probably find it just on, uh, on what's it called, on YouTube, honestly, subtitled. I have seen so many gifts because I'm still on Tumblr in the year of our Lord 2023. <laughs> and one of my favorite cosplayers has done cosplay from Towns to Vampire. Oh my God, that's amazing. As a, as a count? Uh, no, she did some really elaborate dress with um, like crystal beading as blood. I don't remember what the context was, but it was stunning. And I was just like, how long? Because she hand sews because she doesn't like sewing machines. She had to have been Sarah. That sounds amazing. And I'm like, that's bonkers. But go you. And it's beautiful. And how long did that take you? And are you insane yet? <laughs> I, I respect it. I 100% respect it. That's incredible. Yeah. All right. Um, so now that we've got on this really wonderful tangent that I loved, and I feel like I've gotten so many little notes of things to to look into um in addition to hungers what other releases do you have coming up well i have a few, um i have a bunch of short stories coming out um in a few places i'm really excited for um one of my one of my most excited ones i have a story coming out in the deadlands which will hopefully be in the fall um i have a story coming out in um the fiends in the furrows which is like a jewish folk horror one um, and one that just uh, came out called Savior Savior in Steel for a Dark Matter magazine. That is one of my that's, it's one of my favorite stories. It's like a cyberpunk golem story. Oh, I want that. <laughs> so if you don't like horror, it, like, I think you could probably read that one. You might be able to read the uh, the Fiends in the Furrows one. It's called The Gods That Drift With Us. It's like a Jewish woman and her companion traveling through uh, medieval Spain, stopping in a village that has like dark secrets, but she has like a darker secret. So I read that. So that'll be out probably in August. Um, and my others right now, um, my book book wise, um, I'm really excited for this one. It's with Off Limits Press in June, a Jewish detective pulp uh, horror novel called The Long Shalom. I love that title which, so much. 
I, 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 I think I sold this one based on the title. It is, um, it was, it's, it's a lot of fun. We're really excited about it. I'm hoping we're going to get a cover reveal soon, but um, it's like you take the old Pope tropes, you mix in some cosmic horror and some, and some uh, det detective stories, make it Jewish. It was like, I pitched it as like, let's take people like the Jew, like uh, Jewish heroes, um, black heroes, uh, trans heroes, you know, Asian heroes, people who would be like stereotypes of old pulp stuff and give them the power, like make them the, uh, the hard world heroes of this with it's like, I, I had a lot of fun with this one. I love that. You've mentioned that one to me a couple of times and I keep going, okay, now when does this come out? Yes, it will be June 24th is the day. And I have to finish it, but um, I have a Jewish pirate horror coming out from Darklit Press in November. That's in. Uh, this I, is a hell of a debut year, sir. Thank Damn. you. Thank you. It is called Devils and the Deep Blue Sea. Um, I pitched it as um, it's like Black Sails meets The Vigil, <clears throat> where you have um, the premise is I took the legend of the Dybbuk and apply that to an entire pirate crew of evil ghost pirates who are hunting um, a Jewish sailor across the waves, and he falls in with a pirate crew that's led by a Jewish captain, and there's Jewish cruiser, there's like Jewish pirates around, and they are essentially trying to eventually to get to the secrets of this creature in the waves who's an angel, and they are trying to keep it from this uh, villain who his name is uh, Captain Sebastian Hawkins. And I kind of had the idea when I was writing it, it was, uh, you know, instead of just an anti-Semite, he's more of an appropriate philo-Semite. Like, he's a villain who wants to, like, take Jewish culture without, like, understanding or really appreciating it. But I've been having a lot of fun with this book. I'm, like, I'm right at the, I'm right at the ending right now that we're going to be editing it. But I'm really excited for everyone to see it. Like, that is, it's just going to be a blast of a novel. Fun. That's amazing. Oh, that's exciting. Very. And um, how dare you? from a my standpoint. I'm going to be so poor this year. We've talked to so many amazing authors and I'm like, well, <laughs> shit, I have to buy these books. Will I read them? Maybe. I don't know. Will Thank they end you. up in the bookshelf anyway? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so where can people find you, you know, to keep up to date? Because, and you know, it's really, a lot of money at you. really hard to keep track of how much you have yes. coming in. Thank you. I have, um, I am on Twitter. At at Zach um, at Zach Rose Writer Z A C H R O S E uh, Writer. That's usually where I spend most of my time. I'm going to be making that website soon. I keep saying that, and I really do have to get around to it. Um, I'm also on um, I'm also on Instagram as Zach Rose Three Two. Um, Twitter is probably the best place you can find me. But I am going to have that website probably uh, you know by the end of the month is my uh, is, is my goal there. We'll hold you to it. And if you do, let us know and we'll update our we'll site. update the show notes with it. Um, and for everyone listening, we're going to have the link where you can pre-order the book up in the uh, description for the episode as well. And then um, the show notes. Because, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I'm, I may have already pre-ordered the book because I have no self-control and I was really <laughs> sleep deprived this week. <laughs> I am I'm just honestly I'm just so grateful for everyone who's been supporting it and everything. I'm I'm really excited to get hungers out. It is uh really it's like just the, the, the feedback has really been incredible. Um, you know, like some there there are writers who I love who are sending me just like amazing, you know, feedback and blurbs and you know, it's hit like 
31, I think 31 reviews on uh, Goodreads even before a month before yeah. it comes out right now. And I'm just like, I, I, I can't believe this. With a 4.58 average rating. Yeah, I was pulling up oh, the Goodreads yeah. yesterday. Which is huge. I think it's anything above like 3.7 is like amazing. So. I think we are, actually, let me check. Yeah, we are up to 32 reviews. I am most, oh my God. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, I, I I don't know what to say about it. It's really it's really amazing. I'm just um I'm really glad that you know Esther and Siobhan seem to be resonating. You know um there um I was really nervous about writing it. I was honestly just like nervous when I was writing it. Well, like oh my god, how's it going to be received? But like I have people like Rio Ewers who have read it and enjoyed it. So. That's exciting. Yeah. Well, again. Uh, May 17th, mark it on your all's calendars. Or just you know, go ahead and pre-order it if you're like me and you'll forget. And then you get a really nice surprise and you're like, look, I got a book. When did I buy this? I, uh, you know, like anyone, like paper, uh, Kindle, like, you know, it's, nine, it's only 99 cents right now. So I have like, you know, any, you know, I'm just like, I'm, I'm just amazed nice. at anyone. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm, like, I'm just like, you know that? Get it however you want. Uh, I'm just I'm just hoping everyone reads and enjoys it. Like you know, I'm hoping we can show everyone that there's a uh, real market for Jewish horror out there. Yeah, I just want that cover on my shelf. The the cover turned out. Let me let me give a shout out to Keelan Patrick Burke, who I gave him nothing to work with because I am terrible at describing art. I was like. Uh, how about we have the silhouettes of the heroines and maybe a monster? And he's like, I'm like, okay, Zach, here's your cover. I'm like, okay, how is this so perfect? <laughs> Amazing. Love that. Uh, well, it has been fantastic uh, talking with you. Are there Thank any you. additional notes you'd like to? Yeah. Anything you want to shout out before we, we close this podcast down? Uh, no, just thank you guys for doing everything you do. Um, let me just give a shout out to a lot of uh, just, you know, some, as given my whole thing for Jewish horror, let me also give a shout out, like I said, to uh, people like John Baltisberger, Richard Dansky, Emily Ruth Verona, Lauren Bulger, uh, all people who you should really check out. They have some great works out there. They're doing great things. Uh, Emily Ruth Verona, she's running, um, I think, the Frightful blog right now, which is fantastic. Um, she's got a great story in the Jewish Book of Horror. Um, I think one of her, she's got a book coming out soon. Um, there, there, there's just a lot of, lot of great Jewish horror writers out there, either just writing Jewish horror fiction or Jewish inspired stuff um, that I just really recommend that everyone um, also take a look at. All right. Love that. Uh, again, thanks for coming on and thank everyone for listening. Uh, sweet dreams and caffeinated nightmares, everyone. Good night. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Graveyard Coffee Talk. Our theme music is Pretty Little Dead Girls by Seanan McGuire, copyright 2006 and used with permission. Our cover art is by Kyle Welsh. If you want to keep the chat going, please visit our website at graveyardcoffeetalk.com for transcripts, episode notes, and more. Follow us on Instagram at Graveyard Coffee Talk Pod or on Twitter at Talk Graveyard. About three years later, the storm is coming.